Chapter Eighteen of the Travelling Thirds by Gertrude Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Eighteen. This is Granada, 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 and we are living in the Alhambra. Somehow, I always pictured the Alhambra as a mere palace, not as a whole military town where thousands lived, and to be actually domiciled in one of its old streets. It's old, steep, narrow, crooked streets. I don't quite realize it, do you? I shall feel more romantic when I have cleaned up, and someone has stolen my pipe. Oh, I hate you, said Catalina, but she forgot him in a moment. She had persuaded Mrs. Roth to go to a pension instead of a hotel, and she had heard of one frequented mainly by artists and with less difficulty than she had anticipated for it was the season of travelling americans and her erring but sensitive chaperone was weary of being stared at the front windows of the pension looked upon a street whose paving stones and walls had echoed the tramp of moorish feet for nearly a thousand years and are still as eloquent of that indomitable race as if the spanish conquerors had never passed under the gate of justice in an angle at the back of the house was a garden with a long, latticed window in its high wall, and beyond were the street shade-trees of Alhambra Park. There was a sound of running water and a hum of drowsy insects, but it seemed as quiet as a necropolis after the long flight from the station behind the jingling mules into Granada and the following drive over the rough streets of the city up to the heights of the Alhambra. Catalina's room had windows on both street and garden, and she could look down into Ova's room on the other side of the angle, on the floor below. The garden, although the kitchen opened upon it, was full of sweet-smelling flowers and rustic chairs, and at one end was a long table where a man sat painting. There were no palms here, for Granada is two thousand feet above the Mediterranean, and the eternal snows are on the Sierras behind her. "'I suppose, then,' said Catalina, after a half-hour's dreaming, "'that you don't mind if I go for a walk without you.' "'Oh, do wait. I'm quite fit now. "'I'll meet you down in the street.' On her way through the quaint, irregular house, she met a tall, fine-looking girl, who half-smiled and bowed, as if welcoming her to the pension. For a moment Catalina wondered if, by any chance, her family could have bought out the Spanish proprietors— but dismissed the thought the girl was not only unmistakably american but of the independent class she wore a blue veil about the edge of her large hat and her ashen hair in a single deep curve on her forehead her white shirtwaist and white duck shirt were adjusted with a perfection of detail that suggested the habit of a maid or of time and concentrated thought her features were good, and in spite of a hint of selfishness and rigidity about the mouth, and a pair of rather cold grey eyes, her smile was very sweet, but her claim to distinction was in her grooming, her beauty mien, and in her subtle air of gracious patronage. She looks like a princess, and yet not quite like a lady, thought Catalina. What can she be? Over joined her and as the two grey, harmonious figures walked down the street, Catalina turned suddenly and looked at the pension. The girl in white was leaning from one of the upper windows. But this time the cool grey eyes had no message for one of her own sex. 
They dwelt upon the Englishman's military and distinguished back. Catalina thrilled to the vague music of unrest deep in some unexplored nook of her being. The second response was a snapping eye, which she turned upon over. "'I met an American girl as I was coming out that I have taken a dislike to,' she announced. "'She has a most absurd patronizing manner, and looks as if she were trying to be the great lady, but couldn't quite make it. I prefer the Moultons, who are frankly suburban.' "'I thought the Moultons very jolly, poor souls. "'I suppose they have reached the haven of an Atlantic liner by this.' "'Did you see that girl?' asked Catalina, sharply. "'What girl? Oh, in the pension just now. "'I passed a rather stunning girl on the stairs, but there are so many girls. "'Shall we wander about outside a bit before getting the tickets?' "'The great red towers of the Alhambra were before them, "'and Catalina forgot the unknown.' There happened to be no one else in the Plaza de los Aljibes as they entered it, and the afternoon was very warm and still. They lingered between the hedges of myrtle, the flower best beloved of the moor, and disdaining the upstart palace of Charles V, looked wonderingly at the featureless wall that hid so much beauty, and in its time had secluded from the vulgar the daily life and gorgeous state of the most picturesque court in Europe and such harems of varied loveliness as will never be seen again. Only the tower of Comares, rising sheer from the northern wall of the Asabica Hill, is as visible from the plaza as from the courts, of whose life it was once a part. It was from that window that the Sultana Exalajora, the mother of Babdil el Chico, led him down to the Daro with a rope made of shawls so that he could escape from Granada before his dreadful old father murdered him, volunteered Catalina. But of course you have read all about it. There never was a more delicious book than The Conquest of Granada. Never heard of it, and am densely ignorant of the whole thing. You will have to coach me, as usual. Then I suppose you don't know that we should have no Alhambra today, hardly one stone on another, if it hadn't been for Irving, an American. How do you like that? You know I have no race jealousy, and I had just as lief it had been Irving as any other Johnny. What difference does it make, anyhow? We have the Alhambra. It's like bothering about who wrote Shakespeare's plays. That doesn't interest you? Not a bit. The plays don't much, for that matter. I'm glad our literature has them. But all that sort of speculation seems to me a crying waste of time and mental energy. Let's have the lecture. What did you say your black's name was? Black? Bob Dill had beautiful golden hair and blue eyes. And she sketched the vacillating fate of that ill-starred young monarch while they sat on a bench opposite the great façade of the Alcazaba, that once impregnable citadel swarming with turbaned moors. To Catalina they were almost visible today, so vivid was her historical sense. And, as ever, she caught over in the rush of her enthusiasm. He always invited these little disquisitions, less for the information, which he usually forgot, than for the pleasure of watching the changing glow on Catalina's so often immobile face. Moreover, she was invariably amiable when roaming through history. Her voice, in spite of its little western accent, was soft and rich, and lingered in his ear long after she had fallen into a silence which presented a contemptuous front to such masculine artfulness as he possessed. Today, after they had passed through the little door of the Alcazaba, she fell abruptly from garrulity into a state of apparent dumbness. 
but over walked contentedly beside her in the warm and fragrant silence of the ruin except for the ramparts and the two great watch-towers where the moor had contemplated for so many anxious months the vast army and glittering camp of ferdinand and isabella on the vega beyond granada and the sheer sides of the rock on which the fortress was built there was little to suggest that it had once been the warlike guardian of the palace it rather looked as if it had been the pleasure gardens of a pampered harem with its winding walks between terraces of bright flowers its fountains overgrown like the fragments of wall with ivy and its grottoes always cool and of a delicious fragrance while from every point there was a glimpse of snow mountain or sunburned plain after they had rambled in silence for an hour catalina emerged from her centres and suggested that they go up to the platform of the torre de la vela from that high point famous for having been the first in granada to fly the pennons of aragon and castile they saw the perfect rim of hills and mountains that curve about the city and its vega on the tremendous ridges and peaks of the sierras no less than on the blooming slopes of the lower ranges there once were watch-towers and fortified towns the outer rind of the pomegranate which the spaniards stripped off bit by bit until they reached the luscious pith that so aptly symbolized the delights of the moorish stronghold the fortresses are gone but the eternal snows still glitter the xenil is as silvery as of yore while the sloping city of granada itself presents an indescribably ancient appearance with its millions of tiles baked and faded by the centuries into a soft pinkish gray its streets so narrow that one seems to look down upon a vast roof from which crosses and towers rise like strange growths that mar the harmony of a scene otherwise perfect in line and delicate color the solitary tower of the cathedral rises from the mass of roofs like a mere monument above the tombs of ferdinand and isabella who for all they lie in consecrated stone have ever about them the phantom of the ancient mosque above the roofs the very air was pink and out of the shimmering vega to the western hills the sun was seeking to pay his evening visit on the right or north of the alhambra across the river daro was the abaisin on a steep mountain spur once both sister and rival of the palace hill the whole surrounded by high walls three leagues in circuit with twelve gates and fortified by one thousand and thirty towers it was in general faithful to babdil el chico catalina informed her companion thirsty for knowledge and was the scene of terrific battles between that whim of destiny and his unrighteous old father muley aben hassan today it is given over to thousands of gypsies who are faithful to nothing but their nefarious and oft-times murderous instincts but by far the most imposing objects of the extensive panorama after the snow mountains were the ruined towers of the alhambra itself besides the three in the foreground and comares or romantic memories was a line in varying stages of picturesque decay extending along the precipitous bluff overhanging the darrow between were gardens of glowing flowers narrow streets ruined walls wild patches of wood where the cliff-side jutted and on the south side of the alhambra hill parallel with the darrow the dense park of elms planted by the duke of wellington there is the town of santa fe said catalina pointing to a speck on the edge of the vega 
Ferdinand and Isabella caused it to be built when they were in camp. The articles of Granada's capitulation were signed there, and their contract with Columbus. Over there in the Sierras somewhere is the spot where Babdil turned to take a last look at Granada, and was reproached by his mother, who was far more of a man than he was, for weeping like a woman, for what he could not defend like a man. When I was a child my mother used to sing me to sleep with the last sigh of the moor. And she suddenly trilled forth with an abandonment of sorrow which startled over more than any phrase she had yet exhibited. Ay, nunca, nunca, nunca mas vere. That means I never, never, never more to see, she translated practically. How close it brings the island of Santa Catalina, undiscovered by the tourists then, and our lonely little inn. My mother always sang me to sleep in a big rocking chair, and my father sat by a student lamp and read, frowning until she had finished. It all seems a thousand years ago. Did you miss your parents much? asked Over, curiously. For a second it seemed to him that he saw a window open in the depths of her eyes. Then she turned her back on him. I don't live in the past, she said. Let us go down into the park. It will be dusk in a few moments, and the nightingales will sing. They lingered a while among the terraces, watching the sun go down, then descended through the gate of justice into the park. There the steep aisles were dim. There was the murmur of running water, and in a few moments the nightingales burst forth into song. Over and Catalina sat down on a grassy bank. There appeared to be no one in the park but themselves. The man looked up, half expecting to see turbaned heads and flashing eyes on the towers and ramparts above, or the glittering cavalcade of Ferdinand and Isabella crowding through the gate of justice, or the faithless wife of Babdil stealing out to her fatal tryst with Hamet of the Abencerages. In the warm duskiness of the wood under the watch-towers and ramparts, and the fountain of Charles V beside them, the music of nightingale and distant waters thrilling the soft voluptuous air it was easy to imagine that the walls of granada had yielded to neither the spaniard nor to time they were the most romantic moments he had ever known and the alhambra is the most romantic ruin on earth the one where the modern world seems but a bit of prophetic history and four hundred years are as naught but there came a moment when he retraced his flight and stole a glance at Catalina. If she were as thrilled with the sense of his nearness as he with hers, in these glades of teeming memories, she gave no sign. With her head thrown back and eyes half-closed, she appeared to be drinking in the delicious notes of the nightingales. She was quite as beautiful as any of the captive sultanas, who had whiled away the hours for their fierce lords in the mysterious apartments above and startlingly like. Such women, white of skin, dark and sphinx-like of eye, with delicate features and tender forms, were sought throughout the East to tempt the sated appetite of the Moorish tyrants. Just so had women with wistful, upturned profiles listened to the dulcet tones of the nightingale floating down from the trees beside Comares into the spacious courts beneath their narrow windows, dreaming of the lovers they would never see. How like she was! In looks, yes, but he laughed outright as his fancy pictured Catalina as even the reigning favourite of a harem, where a mistaken monarch sought to filch her of her liberty and bend her will. 
His abrupt, half-conscious laughter rent the spell of the evening, and Catalina sprang to her feet. "'I forgot to ask the dinner hour,' she said, "'but it must be time. I am starved.' She walked rapidly up the hill and over-followed, conscious that he had thrown away one of the exquisite moments of life, and hardly knowing, now that the intoxication had passed, whether he would have it so or not. End of chapter 18